Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, we've got a returning guest this week uh, We from down. It's a big time difference. So I appreciate you getting up as early as you are. Uh, it's it's five in the morning where you're at. It's about two in the afternoon where I'm at. And you're in the future. Welcome back, Lucy, to the show from, from Australia. How are you? Oh, hi, I'm good. How are you guys? Good. And there's not too much of a delay, which is really nice. You know, technology is an amazing thing that you can, you know, when I was growing up, they said, someday you'll be able to video chat and movies had, you know, people talking to each other on screens and it was so futuristic. And now we're just, I'm doing it in my office and Lucy's in her office and Chuck's in his office. And we're just doing it like it's a normal thing. Yep. The world has gotten a hell of a lot smaller. (laughs) Yeah. There was a, I think there's a band that's called uh i was told there'd be jetpacks and it was it's kind of one of those things where yeah we have jetpacks but not the kind that you know like the star wars mandalorian you know not gi joe jetpacks where are those i'm waiting for those in my flying cars no we got COVID instead <laughs> yeah exactly well you know yeah that was that's the jetpacks i'm giving you just have to be a millionaire to afford it yeah and they don't go very far no so I, although I did see, did you have you guys seen the the wing packs that that it's like a small uh, set of wings that strap to your back with two small jet engines, so it's less like a jet pack as opposed to it's like a jet powered glider, and they're so fast and they're capable of such high flight that you can you there's a video of of people using them next to a an Air Emirates seven forty seven. No way, that's, a, that's oh yeah, that's no, no I gotta no. see. I'm gonna have send to it to you. I'm, it's Dubai, dude, where they have fuck you money. Oh, where okay, they can just, exactly. yeah, yeah, Dubai. Like anything's possible. I'd be worried about the reentry. How do you land that thing? <laughs> I mean, sure. I don't know. Very, very carefully, I guess. <laughs> I'll I'll uh, I'll tell you what, Lucy. We'll we'll find a way to send you the video. Email us, and we'll email you. The, I'll email you the clip because it's pretty amazing. Hell, I'll post it on our social media. So watch watch for our social media. To see what I'm talking about, I will post a clip of the jetpack wingsuits. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Uh, we had Lucy uh, back on, and she's gotten up super early to talk about a very, very, very important subject, and that's uh, officer-involved shootings. And Chuck, we had oh. this. We were having this discussion on uh, um, a direct message with someone, uh, and the question was: Is it still an officer-involved shooting if there are no shots fired by the officer? And right. uh, it was interesting because the the answer is slightly different for the both of us because Chuck and I work for different agencies, um, but it does de- vary depending on your agency. For example, I think Chuck, your agency, the answer is yes if there's shots yeah, fired. Yeah, so that's it. yeah, there's an officer involved. So just because you were not able to put rounds downrange, still an officer involved shooting because an officer is involved. The sense of the um, the essence there of the actual term officer involved shooting just means an officer's involved in the shooting regardless of being shot at or returning fire at someone because you could have a vice versa where no one shoots at you presents a deadly threat and the officer then fires one or more rounds downrange officer involved shooting same as the uh as the the other one you know where it's reversed where the officer's taking rounds um so i mean it's different for uh every different agency even in the state of california 
mm-hmm. you can see, one northern, one southern. And even and in at, our different. agency didn't really have a definition. Um, it was more like, you know, they just lick your finger, stick it in the wind and decide if it if the criteria kind of met. For example, I've been places where shots have been fired and officers have been present, but it wasn't considered an officer involved shooting. However, if you call it in or not, <laughs> you're like, that's true. Eh. That's true. Mm, no, 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 there I'm were good. there was there was gunfire present. How, how about that? <laughs> right. Not an officer involved shooting. <laughs> right. Like Fourth uh, of July when you're getting when they're cracking off rounds, not an officer involved right. shooting. The deliberate exactly. shots directed at an officer, such as hitting a vehicle, which was the actual picture that we were sent was a police car with a round, I think, stuck through the window and posed a question. Would you guys consider this an officer involved shooting? I'm like, probably. Well, and here's the thing. If you try to kill me, that's an OIS right there. That's <laughs> yeah. like, I, I'm going to, there's no such thing as friendly fire, right? <laughs> Crazy thing Sorry, was, oh, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen this or I've heard of it or seen it happen, but a friend of mine was patrolling with his partner, got a SUV. Um, so no crown Vic, so an SUV, so higher center of gravity and higher sight lines, everything responding to a radio call, man with a gun as they're approaching the scene or the address of the location. Um, they take a couple rounds into the windshield, boom, breaks. They unasked the car to get out. Guy had time, enough time to set the rifle on the ground, put his hands behind his head and turn around and get on his knees. And officers are like, well, shit. We just took rounds and now we can't do anything. And we just hooked yeah. him up and, and that was it. And I was like, holy shit, that is crazy. I was like, no, no one shot back. They're like, no. I was like, oh man. But yeah. he'd already good, wow. good on them though, for having the self-control, the, the self-control and the able to break that tunnel vision and the adrenaline rush you just received. But wow. Because here's That's the thing. interesting. I'll talk about that. The tunnel vision. Oh, go ahead, yeah. Lucy. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. When, when, when we get to it, I'll... Oh, I was just, just going to say that... Honest, I didn't honestly believe it was a thing. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> no, yeah. Tunnel vision is 100%. A th- I always said, and now, granted, um, I came on the job in an era where uh, you didn't... There weren't actually cameras everywhere, but it was post-Rodney King, so we were always told, yeah. assume there are cameras everywhere, right? But there weren't actually cameras everywhere. And I, I always kind of told myself that, you know... There's going to be somebody who's doesn't matter how fast he dropped the gun. He didn't drop it fast enough and he's going to get got. Yeah. Yeah. But nowadays, even that, you know, even that idea, if you happen to get caught on cell phone camera and it, it, there better be just a breath between when that guy drops the gun and when you open fire, because if there's more than that, you are going to get roasted for shooting an unarmed person, even though that person yeah by Monday morning quarterbacking which is complete bs if you can yeah. if you ask me you know yeah. which um, a lot of what i was going to talk about is about that is that right well that's a that's a good segue go ahead two seconds get well, <clears throat> so uh 2019 towards the end of 2019 um i was present during an officer involved shooting um and it was a fatal one um so myself and my partner were um, the first officers to actually locate the suspect and start verbals with the suspect. Um, they were armed with a really, really big knife and a pair of scissors, one in each hand. Um, and they were walking along um, 
suburban street, there'd been some sort of altercation that they'd had with this family um, where they threatened members of their family with a knife and a hammer, but they swapped the hammer for scissors. Um, so we had cars going to that address and they took taken off on foot um, prior to us getting there. So one car went to the address and we diverted because there was a report of someone walking along with a big knife, which was going to be us. So we were first to locate them. Long and short of it was you got someone walking along populated suburban street with a really big knife. They're upset and they were not responding to our demands at all to put the knife down. Um, we were travelling alongside them in the car because at that point they were marching along, they weren't going to stop, and there wasn't anyone in the street, so we didn't. We, we had a little bit of time. And in the end, got to a point where we had to cut this person off, so I wasn't driving, cut, driving, cut them off. I did a big U-turn in front of them. By the time we did that, there were lots of other police cars that arrived, you know, because we'd put it out on the radio. I'd put it out on the radio what we were seeing. So we had every available police car was there. Um, in the end, that person never put the knife down, squared off against the officers that were in the other vehicles. Um, so we ended up sort of further up the street than the other officers and it resulted in them being shot. They didn't follow direction um, and in the end, and this is a bit that probably got to me for a while, was a lot of stuff happened out of my view um, whilst we were doing that U-turn. So I didn't get to see everything that played out behind me. So by the time we squared back off and I, the suspect was back in my view, like everything had already played out and it was now at the trigger point basically. Um, so I didn't get to see what had happened, but what I did see was, and I was actually, funny, you had an episode a little while ago um, about an officer who came up against someone armed with a, with a gun and um, they went taser mm. and it didn't work. Yeah. And, and so somebody else, thank God, made a decision that, you know, saved that officer because, you know, Legal in the time force, yeah, in right. the time of him going, mm, taser didn't work, better get my gun back in my hand, like it would have been done, he would have been dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very similar scenario where an officer got far too close to the suspect. Um, and when I say too close, I mean about a metre from the suspect. Oh, wow. Um, I think trying to sneak up on them. So he was out of their line of sight. Um and that was the tunnel vision for me was when we squared back off, that's all I could see was my friend. Who was my friend? About to get stabbed. He was so close. And I thought there's just no way. And it was a very um, a very physical thing. It was, it was almost like around the edges of my vision started to go black. Right. And it was like my entire world just went mm-hmm. to this. Mm-hmm. And I... I could still hear, I could hear everything um, and I just, I've never felt fear or dread like that before because I was still stuck in a car. I couldn't do anything and even if I did get out, we were then no longer at Attack 90 so 
I mean, I wouldn't have been able to draw any Photoshop to and use it safely without possible crossfire with him. Right. He put himself but in a bad position for you. Yeah. Um, well, for everyone. And, and just all the time that we had that day to do something to get into a better position, to make better decisions, well, not better decisions, just other decisions, right. um, was taken. It was, it was gone. Um, and fortunately, one officer followed his training and one officer had the semblance of mind to, to act. Um, so one single round was fired. And we're always trained, if you have time to negotiate, obviously do. So you pull your firearm out and you come to the ready position so the, your, your barrel is pointed at their belt line because you can still see over the top of the gun, you can still see their face, you can still see their right. hands, and you can still talk to them. But if needs be, you only have to move that gun just a tiny bit and you're up on target, centre of scene mass. Um, and worst comes to worst, you don't get the time to pull the gun up. You still are, you know, centre of scene mass. There's vital organs and all of that and sure. the stopping power is still going to be there. Um, and that's exactly what happened. You never had time to even bring the gun up onto target, just had to let the round off. And, um, and it, hit, it hit true, immediate reaction. Person immediately crumpled in half, fell back, threat reduced, control gained, all of that. Um, our guys did what they could as far as first aid, got an ambulance coming straight away. Um, and I remember because I was the first one to get a call out on the radio saying what had happened. And I was like, I was very, very clear. There is no more threat. Yep, one shot by, but there is no more threat. No police are hurt. Just get the ambulance to our location immediately because our ambulance service, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, like as soon as they hear the word shooting, they will not come anywhere near. They will right. wait until they're escorted to the scene by stage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they yeah, want the so scene safe. Them. They want the all, all go-ahead yeah. secure because yeah. they don't want to get hurt. Which is not, like, that's absolutely yeah, I get it. exactly what should be done. Um, but in this case, the scene was safe and we needed them. We didn't have the time to go and get them and pick them in. Well, you, so, and you had the presence of mind to give the all clear on a lot of people wouldn't do that. You know, they, you had the presence of mind to say there is no more threat, single shot fired, go ahead and come in. And you gave yeah. the information. Yeah. And uh, I'd have to credit that to when we do our critical skill, we call it critical skills training. Um, so our, our requalified shoot every year. Um, the, whoever's taking the shoot, they or the trainer, they always go through like verbatim, like a checklist. You know, this is where the first aid kit is. Um, they always have the car parked so that you can just, if there, you know, there's a training accident, you can just load the person in the back and right. take off. So it's always mm-hmm. placed in the right way. And they say, you know, if it's a situation where we can't do with ourselves and we need to get the ambulance here, make sure when you call, you tell them that it's a training accident, the scene is safe that they're to come straight in. They don't need to wait for an escort. And it was just years and years and years, I think, of that, of me knowing that, you know, if something bad happened, you'd have to include that in your dialogue. Otherwise, you'd be waiting for them to come to you and they right. weren't going to come to you. So right. Yeah, yeah so that, that was the incident and the, the, the person died about half an hour later in hospital. Um, the return date in their leg had been completely shredded um so they didn't die right there 
if it had been the femoral artery, they obviously would have bled out immediately. But because it was the return vein, it, it took a lot longer. But there was still no no ability um, to save them. And I I know that the hospital staff did did an amazing job, and they tried very very hard. Um, yeah, but it just it wasn't going to work. So I mean that's tragic. Um, this person was having the worst day of their entire lives and made some very, very bad decisions that day. Um, and I think they just got to the point where they didn't care anymore. And I'm pretty sure from the small amount of interaction that I had with them, there was no way they were ever going to put those weapons down without there being a use of force. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we all hope that even if it has to be a use of force, it's not going to be a lethal one. Um, but in this case, that that was the only answer that day. Um, when someone chooses violence, you can't you can't deter them. That's their choice, you know. Exactly, like it it was it was their choice, um, regardless of the choices that you know other officers made um, that made our scope of of being able to deal with it smaller. Um, you know, at the end of the day, all they had to do was just drop knife. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, and that's when you're talking about how assume that you're always being recorded, and you know, if there was ever a shooting and you shot someone, even though they just dropped the knife or they just dropped the gun, like it better only be a breath between. Mm-hmm. Because if that's what it shows in the recording, like you're you're toast. Um, so. There was footage of the incident and it was taken from a home security camera, like a really, really cheap system, about 65 metres further back the road. So That's far. Yeah. So it's not yeah, great. So it's, it, no, it's not great. Not a great it's camera great. and not a great distance. No, no. It shows really gross movement. Um, it's enough to be able to identify who everyone is. Just. Right. Um. But and I had never seen that footage, and until court, like, so, you know, all of this resulted in a murder charge against the officer who pulled trigger. Is that normal? Two years later, we no, no, huh. um, it was completely it was completely unprecedented, um, and it was shocking, um, and it made. A lot of people, not me, funny enough, um, but it made a lot of people question their use of force. Um, and I know for us, where we were working at the time, um, just it would have been about two days after the murder charge was laid, which was six months post the incident. Um, there were two young constables. One was a probationary constable and one had just got off probation. They went to an incident with a man on on the beach, and we've got a beautiful foreshore, and it um, usually attracts a lot of people. Fortunately, this was nighttime, um, so there wasn't anyone down there. The young man had armed himself with a knife, and he, more down the self harm, like death by police kind of track, than wanting to hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And these officers are going to the job, and they're getting kind of like live updates because there's this member of the public trying to negotiate with this guy and talk to this guy from a safe distance. Um, and they're relaying information to our call centre. So our guys in the car on the way there had a 
discussions where they made a conscious decision that when they got there, no matter what they were faced with, they were not going to pull their firearms. Really? Yep, which is exactly what they did. I watched because it, so it was all captured on our council CCTV, which is very, very good quality footage, Mm -hmm. um, and the police station have access to it um, and control over it. And I watched it in, like, like 1080 (laughs) definition, zoomed in, yeah, Um, of these officers approach this man who's armed with a knife with tasers drawn. And they're and they're, they're walking towards him. With so they're closing the distance with tasers drawn, which obviously you've got to be three to four meters is the best range for a taser. Sure. Anything more than four, and the spread gets too big. And unless you're like a sniper with that thing, you're going to miss, um, or at least one prong's going to miss. But they did that, and this guy was that amped up. He stabbed himself in the chest so hard that he punctured his lung. Mm. Um, if, if he had have chosen to turn that off on them, they wouldn't have had time to transition up to a firearm. And, and I'm just, because uh, I came in and I was watching this footage and it was all very raw for me because obviously the murder charge had been laid two days earlier. And I'm watching this and I was so angry and just dismayed that, this was how we were questioning ourselves. And finally, the female officer, thank God, she goes, it was almost like you could see the cogs stick over in a mind bulb, going, yeah. this is stupid, and take her tape and then pull her gun out. By that point, it, it was all over. He dropped the knife and another officer had come running in and tackled him and it, it, it ended well. Well, it, it ended well for the officers. The guy ended up having to go on a Claim to our one of our biggest centres to get um, treatment for his punctured lung. But yeah, the it just it it killed me that they had made this decision that they were going to they would rather get stabbed than and face a murder charge. Yeah, right. Yeah, because it's placing doubt in the officer's mind, and I've seen it far too often in the United States where you have a, a couple cases or a bunch of different cases come down that don't it's not favorable for the officers, even though they did everything within policy, everything within accordance to the law, federal law, state law, their own department's policy. And they're still trying to get, they're still getting railroaded or trying to get brought up on charges, even though they did everything correct. And it was that one individual's choice who made a bad choice, nothing they were going to do. We'd be able to talk them out of it. And it ended up resulting in a fatal incident. And this puts doubt in officers' minds and it causes officer safety situations such as the one you just listed and it's also happened numerous times on my agency on other people's agencies played out on live television where you see someone chasing officers with a machete or a knife because they don't want to take the the time or they don't want to take the action because they're afraid of getting you know indicted federally indicted and and hanging on a on a murder charge or a manslaughter charge or something like that, where they're going to, they're, they're afraid of losing their job. They're afraid of going to prison. They're afraid of losing their house. They're afraid of not being able to provide for the family. So they make a dumb decision where they don't take action. And this puts so much doubt in officers' minds. And this is not a good thing. And it's, it's, it's sad. And and I, I completely get where you're coming from, where you were in dismay because you're like, these officers were basically creating a situation that was going to be very deadly if it went the wrong way and not for the suspect, but for the officers involved. 
Yeah. Well, and I'll, I'll uh, say this and, was a gr- Oh, go ahead. Oh, like, and so at the end of the day, what happens, like, if he stabs the officers, the police are still going to have to go and still going to have to deal with it, and it's most likely going to end in a, in a fatal shooting anyway. So I think they lose sight of the fact that <clears throat> when you're faced with a scenario like that, the cost could be your life. Like, they focus too much on the cost could be a murder charge or disciplinary action. No, 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 no. The cost is your life, which right. just sits far more higher up the chain than than sitting, right. you know, in, in, in the dock being judged by a jury. And I'll say this, like I was, as I was about to say, boys and girls, is that number one, if you go to a call uh, and you think you need your taser, that's fine. But make sure that you have a lethal force option ready to go. Like one of you has taser, one of you has lethal force, because if taser doesn't work, you will not have time. You will need somebody else. To make the- exactly. Work. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's and- that's the first thing, boys and girls. If you're going to a call and one of you has taser, somebody better say, okay, I'm going lethal. And don't don't get the two confused. Have those decisions. Mm-hmm. Know who's the better shot. If you've got a car partner, you know, egos aside, just do what's best for the call. But also, number two, if you're heading to a call and you're having a conversation in the car where you're deciding ahead of time what you are or are not going to do, you are doing yourself and everybody on your department a disservice because you should know better by now that this job is completely fluid. And no matter what dispatch tells you the call is, you're going to get there and, and, and find out that something's different. Something's messed up. Something's wrong. Some information they gave you is bad. And you have to be able to be open. And, and you have to telling yourself that ahead of time is going to give you a form of tunnel vision. It's going to give you the thing. Well, we said we weren't going to pull our guns. So no matter what happens when we get there, we're not going to consider that, you know, until like you, you said, that the person, exactly. And right. As Lucy was saying, it's not just your life. It's the other officers that are going to show up now. If you make a bad decision, if you make a, if, if you make a snap judgment, uh, I'll, I'll use your example, Lucy, the guy who decided to sneak up on the guy with the knife and, and try to be brave and tackle him. Hey, I get it. That's very, very brave. However, you have several other partners there. You have just completely limited their options and started things into motion that they now have to basically clean up after you. And mm-hmm. you could get yourself or one of them killed. And we're not saying don't have those discussions in your car with your fellow partner officers where, Hey, I'm going to be less than lethal. You're going to be lethal. Oh, for sure. Um, have those. You know, I'm going to be cover officer. You're going to be, you know, you know, the other officer or contact officer, and I'm going to be cover. We're not saying don't have those conversations, have those conversations. You need to, because you need to know, Hey, this is where we're going to have a, we're going to have a, a game plan, but just know that those, those roles can, can shift. And you and your partner officers need to practice this stuff, train this stuff. Your department needs to train it. And you need to have those conversations, but don't be like, I'm going to be making this. We're not doing this. We're not going to do this and be set in the stone because it can change. It's fluid. It's constantly changing. Yeah. And say for, there's an example, there was a shooting, not a shooting, a tasing incident, a female with a knife. Perfect example of this whole situation that we're talking about inside of like a Walmart. And it was, uh, I don't believe they were rolling partner cars. I think they were rolling L cars and he called for a backup, but he, he approaches a female armed with a knife, holding it in a, like a, a stabbing um, grip. 
and she has it down by her side. And he's t- talking to her, drop a knife, drop a knife. She's not listening. He had a, a partner officer come up and create an L, took eyes off of the officer with the gun. She's drawn a gun. His partner officer is a female. She's drawn her gun. She's now talking with the suspect. Suspect diverts the attention away from the main officer. He then holsters, gets to a better position, says, yeah. drop the knife, pulls the taser out, tases him or tases her. She goes down. They're able to take that suspect in custody. And that is one way that things can change. Roles can change. Things are fluid. And if you have the mm-hmm. ability to use tools, use your tools. But just know a taser in a lethal fight is not always going to work. You need to be able to have an option. So if you're going to make that, you know, that, that judgment call, I'm going to pull a taser with someone with a knife or with a gun, or I'm going to pull a 40 millimeter with a suspect with a gun. You better make sure that there are other people that have lethal force available and that option available. Cause if you don't, that could be your life. So you need, you need to make sure that you and your agency is talking about this and make sure you have those discussions and tactically debrief every incident that you're dealing with. But don't be set in the stone, set in the mud when you come up to and be like, I'm not going to use my gun because yeah. that yeah. could be your life. And I've seen right. cops do that. That's it. But you've got to be it makes me angrier. It could be my life. You're my yeah. partner. Yeah. You're, I'm working the street with you. I'm supposed to have this trust in you. And if you're going to do stupid That's shit like that. Right. Yeah. Like you have to know who you're working with and you have to be able to trust that. And I, I'll tell you right now. It would take a special person for me to be working with to be comfortable with putting my firearm away and going to taser because if they don't make the right decision um, or they miss or they freeze or whatever, like you're now standing there with a less than lethal force option that is proven to not be anywhere near as reliable as the Glock. Um, and it, and you could die. And I, I wouldn't be comfortable with most people nowadays to transition down to a taser at all. Um, if the scenario was such that you could, like the scenario you just talked about, Chuck, with the fella in um, on the chicken Walmart, and that's really good, like the officers <clears throat> managed to divert her attention um, and it was a successful deployment. Um, that's great, but yeah, I and now like living through that um, that scenario, uh, um, yeah, I don't know that I'd be comfortable with putting my no. putting my gun away. Yeah, um, I, but, I feel but the also same. like not just boxing yourself into where I have to keep it in my hand because because the scenario might change where it is now no longer the appropriate level of force because you know they put the gun down or they put the knife down or whatever um fortunately here in australia we very rarely deal with people armed with firearms um right i was going to say the fact that you guys don't have guns in civilian hands means that a Uh, lot of it is knives we have we have a lot of guns um i think that's a bit of a misconception that we don't we do but the, the the process to get your hands on a firearms license and then purchase firearms is so stringent um, that and so expensive that it's prohibitive to a lot of people. Um, and also we – so there's probably a lot more rifles um, and shotguns in civilian hands than there are handguns because there's lots of different um, laws and stuff here. Like you can't just own a handgun because 
you want to. You have to belong to a, a, right. a gun club and you have to do X amount of shoots per year. And, and if you've got rifles, you have to have um, a letter from a, from, a, from a landowner like a farmer or a station owner saying, yep, they can come and shoot vermin on my property. Um, so you have to basically justify why you have a firearm. You can't just say, I want a firearm to protect myself. <laughs> like if you said that, nope, nope you're, you're not, not going to get a life. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So the incidents where we deal with people um, with firearms <clears throat> are usually either um, farmers who are going through a really tough stage in their life and go and grab one of their firearms out of their cabinet um, or stolen guns that get usually shortened down and they end up in the hands of criminals. Um, but we rarely go to instances where they're being used. Like we don't have like an active shooter situation. Usually if the criminal's got their hands on a gun, they want to keep it, so they'll not draw attention to themselves. Right, right. Um, yeah. So it, it is a little bit different here with the firearms, but we do get a lot of knife instances, lots and lots. Um, but usually, and I have been to many, and they give up. The police are here, but they pulled a firearm out. I'm, I don't want to die today, so I'll put the, I'll put the knife down. And that's the way it's always worked, <laughs> except for that one time where it didn't work. Um, but going back to, like, trusting who you work with, so something that did come out of all of this, obviously, we all gave our testimony in court. And, um, like, our thinking, because you can only attest to what you saw, what you did, what you thought, what you perceived, what you were scared of, like what you thought was going to happen. Right. So it's all very, it's very subjective. Um, and it was interesting learning what other officers um, thought and what what their psyche was. Um, to the point there was one officer who didn't get out of the car. Now, I didn't get out of the car because our car was still moving and like I said everything kind of happened out of my view before we managed to square the car off um but this officer probably was in a good position to get out of the car um there would have been no crossfire or anything like that and they said that they didn't get out of the car because they were afraid that they would get stabbed so so it was like they were happy to let somebody else deal with it and that was their testimony that was yeah. That was and he, he was a he's a he's a very senior officer. Um, this should be his resignation. Yeah. I well he is pretty close to retirement, but I was yeah. so hurt when I learned that because I personally really really liked this officer and really respected him, and I'd worked with him a bunch of times, um, and he was generally like a a pretty switched on fella you know he was an old dog so he he was careful um Mm -hmm. you know I'd never he he could talk his way out of anything just about so I never ended up in any rumbles with him because the gift um, of gab huh yeah yeah and but maybe that was it he has his entire career relied on his gift of gab to keep him out of trouble and when the ex hit the air conditioner he it was nut up or shut up, and he shut up. Yeah, um, yeah, that was that was terrible. Um, and like the officer that had to creep up on on 
um, on the Sussex. Um, I, there was nothing. Sort of, he just mistook the situation really badly. Um, and I, it's I, disillusioning, I, right? I, I harbored a lot of a lot of anger towards him for a very very long time because mm-hmm. of the decision he made, um, and that that was quite damaging for a couple of years um, of just mm-hmm. like every time I looked at him, I just like I, I just shake my head and be like, why, mm-hmm. you know? And but yeah, so when it all sort of came out, like there were those things of. Can you even trust anybody? <laughs> yeah. The the crazy I, thing is, it, it changed my perspective a lot. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is that a lot of these, you know, with the whole BLM stuff and you know, officer involved shootings that are now being um, demonized and things like that, even though when they're righteous, has tainted a lot of officers' minds, even to the point where they are receiving fire from a suspect, and they don't fire, and only one officer has the testicle fortitude to fire rounds downrange happened in my shooting. I've seen it to where I was involved in the use of force foot pursuit. And it's actually what kind of injured me. And no one was in the foot pursuit with me, even though we had four, three, three, three cars on scene guy takes off and he just assault with a deadly weapon. Someone hit him in the head with a, with a pipe and takes off and we're chasing, right? No one follows my partner did, but nobody else. Until, you know, it was way down, down the road, but no one was in that foot pursuit. And I even had a, a, a friend of mine come up to me, supervisor will remain nameless uh, because we're not going to name names or agencies. Right. And there was cars that drove up to this situation, the incident turned around and left. And this yeah. is happening far too often and around the country and around the world where Officers are not putting themselves in a situation. I even had a partner officer goes, Hey, responding to a help call. I'm not getting out of the car. I'm facing some, some issues, some beefs and some complaints. I don't want to lose my job. I'm going to let you guys handle it. And go home. Right. And and we get involved in use of force and er, then he gets in trouble for that. And I'm like, well, you can't be playing both sides, dude, to see either you're in or you're out. And you're, would you have been happy if one of us ended up seriously injured or dead? What if he armed himself with a knife inside of there or a gun, or he had a weapon and he severely injured or maimed an officer? How are you going to be able to sleep at night? I know I couldn't, I would have to get in there and at least lend a helping hand, whether or not I'm getting involved or not, at least I'm there and I can take action if need be, if I'm not able to go hands-on. But in that uh, particular situation, there was only three of us inside and it was me my buddy and a probationer and the probationer didn't know what to do. So it was just two, two on one with somebody who want to go to jail and the other officers outside, he had two more officers outside that didn't want to come in. And it's these sad things that happen that are going to get people killed. It's going to get their partners killed. It's going to get themselves killed. It's, it's these dumb things that are happening. And I believe it's all stemming from a situation like, like you had where an officer gets brought up on charges for some BS when that should never have happened. And I also think yeah. another thing, which is probably one of the hardest things to do is to rein in a fellow officer when you see them deviating from something that maybe doesn't doesn't look like it's going to end well or is not tactically safe to rein them in to have that hey you hey, know bro come back here or hey partner back 
and you, and you actually physically grab them because sometimes when you're talking about tunnel vision, you get brought in tunnel vision and you're not hearing other people. And sometimes you physically have to be held and brought back. I've had it happen to me. Um, I've went to try and get out of a, our police car was still moving and I was trying to, I was really new in the job. I was trying to get out of the car to chase after some guy who just literally crashed like teeth. He was a stolen car and he blew a set of lights right in front of us. We were nothing to do with it. Um, we were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Blew a set of lights right in front of us and T-boned a civilian car and blew it in half. Ugh. And, um, yeah, it was, it was yucky. Um, but I wanted this guy in this car, right or wrong, and like a little flea, he pinged out of this wreck and started running, and I was trying to run after him, but our car was still moving, and my partner's like, got all of my belt. Wait, 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 because he would have run me over. Just wait until the ride has come to a full and complete stop. (laughs) Keep your hands and arms Um, inside the vehicle. Yeah, and I've done it with officers as well. Uh, From one incident, an officer, he got spat in the face by this um, crook who was already in handcuffs. And he he was he was gonna punch him so hard, and I and he went after him, and I ended up grabbing hold of my partner's belt and holding on for dear life because it would have meant his job. Um, and he was a good officer; there was no need for him to get embroiled and anything like that. Um, but it does take bravery to do that because you hope that whoever you do it to will turn around and go, "Oh, thank you, thanks for bringing me back to earth." Um, but some officers won't. Some officers will get really indignant over it or even turn around and take a swing at you so yeah you know you have to be prepared for that um but But now that a lot of departments are enacting duty to act where 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 if you don't grab an officer and stop them from doing something that's a violation of law you're complicit like you have you're there's and i'm not saying that's right or wrong i'm just saying as soon as you start legislating this stuff it's going to get very fucking complicated when you start to wonder why somebody didn't yank somebody, did they see, did they see the same be. thing? Did they, yeah, it shouldn't have to be, but it, is. it shouldn't have, it shouldn't have to be like, you, and, and then you start turning on each other. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, like my long winded email that I sent to you guys, the best sergeant I ever had said to me, you're all best mates until, and you know, until the shit hits the fan and then you'll just eat each other like dogs. Um, which but that's like, true. That's, 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 that's true. this profession. Like, it's it's like, you know, you think about uh, hyenas or dingoes or wild dogs in Iraq or any of these pack animals. When one of them is injured and weak, the rest will turn and eat them. And we yeah. do that as as a profession. It I've seen it time and time and time again is we rally around the one that's weak and he goes, oh, they're coming to rescue me. No, no, no. They're coming to eat you, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was kind of like that's pretty much what happened with. We- with the murder charge, it was like it really seemed that um, you know that an example was to be made, and this prosecution got pushed regardless of whether the evidence was able to satisfy the charge, um, and it couldn't. And they put they hung everything, like their entire prosecution, on the footage, um, and in the footage, because of its limitations. You, you can't even, like all the officers there and the suspect themselves, you can't see their arms. It's like they're armless, like they don't have arms. And it's because the camera can only, would only pick up things that were over a certain um, size. It was like 95 right. millimeter, anything over, anything under that, it couldn't pick it up. So it couldn't pick mm. up 
if they were holding anything, like if the officers were holding anything in their hand. Right. Um, it couldn't pick up the officers with their arms outstretched. It just doesn't have the, the definition to do it. It didn't have the ability to. Um, so it, it, you because know, then you can fill work. in the blanks however you want, Chuck. That's BS. It's like Mad Libs back in the day, like mm-hmm. blank, blah, 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 blank. And you're like, oh, let's yeah. put these words in here. Ha <laughs> ha, it sounds funny. Dude, no, this is this is someone's life. Someone's life's already yeah. been lost because of their poor decisions. You know, yeah. they wanted to end their life. They wanted to go out this way. Their actions led up to what happened. And then we have footage who can't even pick up arms, which are the most important things because that is what kills people. The suspect's arms, you know, holding a knife, about to stab another officer and you have another officer and that's what it was who yeah. so it can pick up food. arm position but it can't pick up hands like whether your hands are open or closed it can't pick up that's if there's an object in him it can, it can only arms. pick basically you're looking at stick figures that's really you all you're looking at yeah no <laughs> no they can pick up arms so. they can pick no, up they arms can't. no she, no, she was not even arm like where arms. your arms were not even arms no What's so like was? the officers that had their arms outstretched with guns in their head or one gun in their head you couldn't see their Wow. I Okay. I thought you were saying that you couldn't even see what's in their hands, no. but you can't even see the no. entire length of their arm. That's, that's so crazy. Like, that's bananas. That be thrown then it, it, at that point, it's useless in court and it, it should be, yeah. you know, other than they're trying, like, that's up to the judge to say, okay, we can use this to show where people were positioned and we can use yeah. it to, to show when people arrived and where they were standing. Vehicles, but yeah, other than that, you can't use that. it. You can't, you can't yeah. indicate anything from that tape. Right. And if you try to testify I mean, or try to make the argument, we're not going to allow it. The defense was straight on that. So that was really good. Um, oh. But like, I had never seen the footage and, and it was all, and, it, and out of all, it was horrible. I was really proud of um, the guys that I worked with in our team. And the officer involved themselves because we never discussed anything. Um, and I think we knew from the start that this could probably go bad. So we were very, very careful. And we just never talked about it. Mm-hmm. So my statement was mine and it wasn't influenced by anything that anyone else saw or thought or whatever. It was totally mine. I had no idea what was in anyone else's statement. Um which then when we all went to court, we all saw slightly different things. We all felt different things, but we generally were all seeing off the same hinge sheet. Um, for me, because I didn't see that stuff that happened out of my view, so mine was a little bit different. Um, and, and I never got to know what happened until I was in court and until I watched the footage. I never knew. I had no idea, none. Um, which, if, you know, for two years that was awful, not knowing. Um, right. But it was good in the end because, you know, I could only just give my honest testimony and that was it. Um, and I, I don't know what, exactly why they played the footage to me. It wasn't really necessary because it wasn't for me to tender. I'd already explained where all the vehicles were. I'd drawn it all out and it was all accurate. Um. And I think they played it right at the end of my um, evidence the prosecutor did. And I think it was just to upset me. Um, and this prosecutor and I, we'd already had um, an argument in my pre-trial prep um, because they were very, very flippant about something that was really, really important, which was that an officer was trying to sneak up on this woman or this person um, 
with nothing in their hands, um, so with no force option. And um, somehow when the homicide had taken my statement, they didn't include that in my statement, that very important fact that this officer didn't have any wow. force option in his hands. Um, so, yeah, this prosecutor, and she goes, oh, you know, that's just like saying, was he wearing a hat or I said, oh, look, uh, I disagree with that. I think that's a very, very poor analogy um, because right. the consequences of whether they were wearing a piece of uniform versus whether they had a force option in their hands, it, it is far and away different from each other. You cannot give that and then. So we had a little verbal over that, but and I, I knew that once with that happened, I knew that she done that on purpose. Yeah, and then you're yeah. angry, and she's trying to rattle you. Now yeah, I'd be remiss see, if the audience would kick my ass if we didn't find out. Did they get acquitted? Yes. Okay, because that was. Good. I mean, I, I as I realized we're having this conversation, I'm like, we still haven't figured out what the outcome was. Mm-hmm. So. I think yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'd get email yeah, after just, email. What happened? <laughs> yeah, less than three hours of deliberation uh, by the jury. And um, about Good. an hour of that was taken up by the judge having to explain a point of, of law to the jury because so they didn't just, they charged him with murder and then at the last second, like two weeks out from trial, they added um Manslaughter charge, just mm. sneaky in there. Just, just in case. case. Just in case. Yeah. And um, so the judge had to explain it was a particular point of law where it was like if, if, if he's not guilty of this, he cannot be guilty of the other either because it's just like it's the same thing. Right. Um, so there was a big explanation about that. So in reality, it was probably only two hours of deliberation by the jury and it was a unanimous not guilty. Um, and I, I was sitting at home folding washing um, at the time and I was so jittery like because I knew today was the day and I knew any minute the jury would be out. And um, and I just, the, the anxiety and the, and, and the terror because, you know, this could be it. This officer could be going to jail for a very, very long time and, and he's got a family and, like, and you know, did, did I... Did I discredit him in, in with what I said? And then I'm going back through it. I'm like, well, I couldn't have said anything different because that's right. just what it was. And oh god! And and because we're obviously allowed to speak to him, he was on um, very very strict bail conditions. And you know, and so I couldn't offer any support to him or his family or anything like that. And um, and then yeah, I got the message sent through from um one of the one of the off one of the support officers um that was there. Saying not guilty on all charges. Oh my God. I'm sure that was a very moment because I would have been emotional about that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, now is that officer still doing the the job or has he had enough? Still doing it. Good for him. I mean, for him. Because he's a copper scopper. He's, you know, he's not in it for just a paycheck or the security. Like, it's what he is built to do. He, and he's an absolute jet. Just an absolute jet. Um, and yeah, he's still doing that. So I don't know that I would have had the the willpower to hold on. I think I would have pulled in. Um, but he, you know, he's held on. Um, 
I, w- yeah, I would be uh, looking I into mean, suing the district attorney or the prosecutor for malicious prosecution. That's what I would be doing. But I'm a scorched earth kind of person where if you piss me off, I'm coming after you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I don't know. I think, I mean, if it was me, yeah. But um, I think perhaps for him, it's just he just wanted to shut the door on it and move on, yeah, at least for on. now. Obviously, and I get that. That's, that's and maybe in that away. position, I would feel like that too. But right now, yeah. I'm angry on his behalf, you know. Or, he, you know, he never expressed any any um, any anger or hatred towards the people that pushed for this prosecution. He was just like, "Well, that was shit, and um, let's move on." Uh, he was more because I finally got to speak to him. He was more upset with a couple of things the officers said in the stand, um, just Ooh. that weren't particularly professional. And obviously, the one about not getting out of the car that that hurt him. That that did. And uh, as aggrieved as I feel about that, he I can't imagine how he felt about that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like, so I think the point of this is uh, shootings don't happen very often in Australia at all. Um, and they certainly, it's even rarer that, uh, that, a, that a murder charge is, is preferred. Um, but I know for you guys over where you are, the shootings are kind of the daily norm, um, as horrible as that is. Um, and there are officers there that, for whatever reason, weren't able to, they weren't in a good position to, um, but for whatever reason, they didn't pull the trigger. Um, and there can be, and I know for me, like, there was this sense of, like, I couldn't have used any force at that point. There just wasn't enough time. Um, but I know sort of at the end of it, I just sort of, I wish there was something I could have done earlier. Um, when we were initially trying to talk to this person um, and you kind of feel left behind and questioning whether you could have done something that would have prevented this whole thing, stopped that officer from having to go through hell. Um, uh, we don't have beanbag guns, um, which was a massive thing that I've been jumping up and down <laughs> about. It was like if we had have had a, a distance less than lethal um and we were trained in it. Like we should all be rolling around with those in our cars. The only people yeah, that have them bag, in forty millimeter. Yeah, the only people that have them is um, our version of SWAT. That's it. That's great. They're in our capital city, six hours away. Like that's not mm. helpful at all. Um, yeah, and I feel like if if maybe if that was an option that day, I, I probably would have got out of our vehicle and probably trailed along behind it and used it as cover and like got a nice strong position and just unleashed on her and hopefully she <laughs> dropped the knife. Um, mm-hmm. And look, that might not have worked and it still might've ended up being exactly the same way. Yeah. What um, if grasshoppers have machine guns? I mean, you could, what if it to death? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can, you can. Um, but yeah, Don't it, beat just, it was up. a horrible, it was a horrible, horrible experience the whole way through. Um, and then obviously it got picked apart mm-hmm. and, you know, prosecution had years to pick it apart and um, for something that happened inside of it was like all over and done with inside of like 20 seconds from the moment I started talking to her to but um, yeah exactly you can you can pull it apart as much as you like it is what it is it happened in the moment and um, you know we have to find some positives from it and I, and I have as far as um, it kind of reinforced my the faith I have in myself as far as use of force. Um, it opened my eyes 
to um, be very aware of who you're working with. And like you were saying earlier, mm-hmm. have these conversations, have these difficult conversations in the car, especially if it's someone you don't know, like it's a new officer or someone you don't know, because you might be relying on them to save your life um, and you need to know who you're working with. Yeah. But, One of my you know, first and always protect yourself. Yeah, oh, for sure. One of my first conversations I would have with new partners was the conversation about if one of us gets taken hostage. And, and you know, as far as like, I got this cop and I'm going to shoot him if you don't drop your gun. And I would always tell him, don't drop your gun. I will, I will, I will drop like a rock. I will go dead weight and leave this guy exposed. You'll see some sort of signal and just shoot the shit out of him as soon as I drop. If you nick me or you wing me, shit's going to happen, but you kill this. And, yeah. and the, the next one I would have was, you know, I'd have conversations about, Hey, how are you at shooting? How comfortable? Like, don't bullshit me. Don't give me the ego answer about, Oh, I'm this, I'm that. I qual-. No. How are you? Are you, are you good from the hip, but you're terrible at targeted shots? Are you a good bullseye shooter, but you're terrible at, you know, combat shoot? Like what, what are you, yeah. where, what are you? And, and have those conversations, know your partners, let them know you take your ego out of it and then do the best thing you can on the call. Yeah. You know, when you get to know is when you have to do a requalify shoot with people mm-hmm. and I shoot you not every single year, there is someone and, and it, and it pains me that it's usually a female officer will go. Cause we, you go to the range, you go kit it up, then you have to unload your firearm and we put training rounds in. Um, Every time they'll go, so like, how do you disassemble your firearm? I'm like, (laughs) so you've never cleaned it. And you're supposed to do this every single shift before you take that firearm out. And I tell you, I do every single shift. And after the shooting, it really just every single shift, because you know what, if that thing doesn't go bang (laughs) and you need it to, Mm -hmm. it could cost you your life. Um, and, and it kills me every year. There will be someone that will say, how do you take it apart? I'm like, you've had 12 months since this firearm's been taken apart and cleaned and checked. Damn. <laughs> oh. just, nope. The other one is like, oh, what do I do if I get a stoppage? How do I clear it? <laughs> we should do that, Chuck. We should have an episode of short stories where it's partner horror stories, where we talk about some of the worst things you've ever seen your oh. fellow cops do. Oh, and absolutely. let me tell you, it's the list is long, but distinguished of the terrible shit that I've seen people do from blasting uh, holes in uh, concrete <laughs> with a shotgun. To, I mean, yeah, you know, I got a quick one for you. Okay, oh, go, go for it. Really quick one. Um, worst thing I've ever seen uh, my partner do is we're having to decode our firearm because we're about to go into the lockup. And so you put your firearm in a lockbox. So you take all your rounds out um, and you store your firearm and your magazine separately. And um, he would, and it took me a while to figure out what he was doing, he would take his mag out of his gun, put the mag in one lockbox, and then put the gun with a bullet still in it. Uh. Yeah, every time. So, and it took me a while to figure out. I'm like, that thing's hot. And he's putting it into a dark box that he's then got to fish around in to get it out of when we leave every time. So every for us, we didn't have time. to we didn't have to take the magazine out to put them in the lockbox. We just put it in the lockbox. But yeah, what I learned to do very quickly because you know that. exactly. 
but mm-hmm. I, w- what I learned to do was to take my firearm and put it in the trunk of my car because God forbid you get a hot call and you go running out to jump in your car and you forget I'm to stop by the lockbox. Yeah. So that's happened I, many times. I, yeah. That's that's happened. Times. So if, for those of you that use the lockbox at the jail, if that's your policy or that's what you have to do, or you're required to put it in the lockbox. Okay, cool. Do that. That's your policy, whatever. I'm not advocating anybody should violate policy. What I am saying <laughs> is that if you have your choice, the trunk is a better option. <laughs> right. And right before we close out, um, I want to say one of the, fa- the, the my most favorite questions I would ask new probationers coming to the station <clears throat> straight out of the academy. They would come in like a little group and I would be like, hey, 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 real quick, guys, quick question for you. Are you prepared to kill someone? And are you prepared to fight for your life if you have to and punch someone in the, in the face? And I, I'd get a little bit more graphic with it. Um, and their their eyes would get wide and their mouths would kind of open. And I'm like, no, I'm dead serious. I'm not crazy. I'm just, I want to know. If the answer's if not that you, yes, then you shouldn't be here. Right. And I want to know if you guys have the fortitude to do what you have to do if someone's life's on the line or your life's on the line. And if your answer is no, get the fuck out. Yeah. If yeah. your answer is I, I don't know or no. I used to teach my kids <laughs> in defensive tactics. I'd say deadly force is deadly force. If your partner's getting his shit pushed in by a suspect and they're fighting over a gun and whatever, and you don't have a clear shot, brain him with a flashlight, hit him with a brick, freaking yeah. stick your knife in his ear. Deadly force is deadly force. There's nothing in the law that says you have to use your firearm and place the shot center mass and blah, 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 blah. So there whether is it's, other, you know, yeah, there is a, if, if there's a guy with a gun and you're in your car, don't get out of the car, just run him over. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. Boom. So, there anyway. you go. Lucy, I want to thank you again for getting up super, super early and contacting us from the future. If you have uh, the ability to Google the Idaho lottery numbers right now, then I would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but uh, I know Chuck happened? has, <laughs> I know Chuck has our, uh, has our dedication this week. So Chuck. So this goes out to Lane Burns. Police officer Lane Burns was shot and killed at about 12.30 a.m. as he and another officer responded to a disturbance at the Motel 6 at 1017 Highway K. As officers were approaching the motel, a man exited immediately opened fire on them with a handgun. Despite being wounded, both officers were able to return fire and kill the subject. Officer Burns was transported to a local hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. His partner was flown to a trauma center in St. Louis and under, uh, underwent surgery for a gunshot wound to his leg. Officer Burns had served with the Boone Terre Police Department for five years and had previously served with the St. Francois County Sheriff's Office. He is survived by his nine-year-old daughter, five-year-old son, and fiance. He was 30 years of age, and he had a tour of about five years. So, uh, Officer Burns, rest easy. We've got it from here. Um, that's one of our most recent and, uh, you know, we'll get, we'll, we'll be happier when we don't have to do those dedications. But, uh, unfortunately, as long as, uh, as long as evil people want to choose violence, there will, there will be no shortage of, uh, uh, officers and firefighters and, and veterans for us to, to dedicate our episodes to. So. Lucy, again, thank you for, for coming on. Chuck, I know you have all the information for our audience to mm-hmm. contact us. Yep. Hey, uh, thank you all for listening today. If you like today's podcast, please go follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook page at war stories podcast. If you already follow us there, share a post and our info. 
You can also go to the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media and website. Our podcast is on all major podcast streaming platforms, as well as on our YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.warstoriesofficial.com and grab some gear. We still have some wooby hoodies, some shirts, patches, and stickers left. We'll be doing some spring and summer gear as well. If you want to uh, be featured on our show and think you have a story or you want to share your story, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. Again, that's booking.warstories at gmail.com. Send me your story and I can get you booked. We are looking for law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers, fire, medics, and veterans. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us. Give them our booking email. And again, thank you for your support. Stay safe. Yeah. And for that listener who uh, has a has a relative who was a door gunner, we're looking forward to it. If you can if you can make that happen, uh, uh, we're we're excited. Uh, if you have a relative, and and we've had people send us their stories they want us to read. If if you have a family member who's not around anymore, they've passed, uh, police officer or uh, somebody who died in combat or whatever, and you want us to read their story of of bravery or something, we'd be more than happy to do that too. But uh, yeah, we'll do it uh, as dedication. I, exactly. So, uh, Lucy, again, thank you. It's always fun talking to you. Uh, and from me and Chuck, until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it.